Hey everyone, it's Joel. In this lecture review, I'm going to rehearse or review JLA Garcia's view of racism. So if you go to Canvas or go to the class emails, you should have a handout um, that discusses a short excerpt of Garcia's view of racism. And this comes from a paper he wrote called The Heart of Racism. It's a really fascinating paper. If you ever get a chance to read the whole thing, I recommend it. And so he starts the paper out by saying that Kwame Anthony Apia, uh, who is a race scholar, rightly complains that although people frequent, frequently voice their abhorrence of racism, rarely does anyone stop to say what it is or what is wrong with it. So this really helps frame what we're talking about here. In the previous podcast lecture, I talked about how this conversation about racism is not a conversation about the sociology of racism or the history of racism or the science of racism or the politics of racism. It's about the concept of racism. So one question we want to ask in philosophical context is what do you mean by fill in the blank? What do you mean by love? What do you mean by justice? What do you mean by racism? So we're really trying to answer a conceptual question and historians and sociologists can tell us really interesting things about how racism arises, how it develops, how it has been shaped, where it comes from. But all of that presupposes that we understand what the concept even refers to. And so if you go back to the lecture slides, there's a little, like, little footnote comment on one of the slides where I, I, I just mentioned that this question, what sorts of things count as racist, is a question about the concept of racism, not the sociology or history of racism. And just to give a quick review, uh, there are at least three views about what the concept of racism refers to and what sorts of things can count as racism. On the one hand, you have a view called strict agentialism, which says that only agents can be racist. Again, the idea here is that the concept only applies to agents and institutions, structures, inequalities, and so on might be racially unjust, they might be unfair, but they're not uh, properly to be understood as racism because according to strict agentialism, it's only agents who are racist. That term only ranges over individuals. Um, so I think one way to think of the strict agentialist is to think of them as saying something like this. If, if you were a strict agentialist about the concept of love, you would say that love is only something um, that applies to human beings. And that you're misusing the concept if you say something like, oh, that institution is really loving. Or if you said something like, that inequality is really unloving. If you said something like, that policy is really unloving. The strict agentialist about love is going to say, you're misusing the term. The term only applies to individuals. That's how we're supposed to use it. That's what it means. So the strict agentialist is saying something like that about the term racism or racist. It applies just to individuals. And we can say, we can use other terms for um, inequalities or institutions or systems. We can call them unjust. We can call them unfair and so on. But racism is something that only refers to individuals. That's probably not, a, I don't know how popular that view is anymore. Um, I'd be curious to know what you all think about that. Um, because nowadays it's very common to think of systems and institutions and inequalities as racist as well. We use the term to describe those things, and a lot of us think that's the right way to use the term. And so 
um, a view called structuralism says that it's institutions and structures that are racist. And if you're a strict structuralist, you think that it's only institutions and structures that are racist. So a lot of strict structuralists deny that individuals should be called racist. Racism is only a thing, only a property that characterizes institutions. That's how we should use the concept, use the term, define it. And um, when we talk about individuals, we can use some other term. So again, Robin DiAngelo is uh, an example of this. Um, her and others who defend the P plus P equals R view that we talked about <clears throat> would prefer to use prejudice or bias to describe individuals. But racism is a property of the structure in the system. Now, I think it's pretty popular to take a middle path. So the third view we talked about is a hybrid view, which says that both agents and systems can be referred to as racist. We're not misusing the term when we talk about persons being racist, and we're not misusing the term when we talk about institutions and laws and policies being racist. The term applies to both. So Ibram X. Kendi has a view about how that works. He's a hybrid theorist, and I uh, will just refer you to the previous podcast where I talk about his view. So right now, what I want to do is talk about JLA Garcia's view of the concept of racism. So just to start out, JLA Garcia is an agentialist. What does that mean? So go to the handout on JLA Garcia's view of racism and scroll down to the bottom. JLA is an agentialist. What that means is that he thinks that racism is fundamentally a property of agents. It's fundamentally a property of agents, and I'll explain what he means by that. But he doesn't defend strict agentialism. Remember, strict agentialism says that racism is only a property of agents. JLA Garcia thinks that racism can infect or corrupt institutions. It can infect or corrupt laws, policies, and whole countries, whole systems. But fundamentally, it starts with the individual. And when the individual is led by their racism, their racist attitudes to enact policies, to support laws, to create institutions that disadvantage people of color or a particular race, then their racism infects or corrupts those systems and those institutions. So I'll say more about that in a second. Um, it's what he calls the infection thesis. And, and I'm just going to kind of roll back a little bit and start with a um, quick overview of his view. So if you go to the handout on his view, there's this really nice quote where he just describes his view. He says, my proposal is that we conceive of racism as fundamentally a vicious kind of racial, racially based disregard for the welfare of certain people a vicious kind of racially based disregard for the welfare of certain people. Another way of putting this is that at its very core, he thinks that racism is disregard for the welfare of a certain racial group. It's disregard. He goes on to say, in its central and most vicious form, it is hatred, ill will, directed against a person or persons on account of their assigned race. Okay, so in the most intense form, this takes, the, this takes the form of hatred. So if you have this internal animosity, internal hatred, this internal ill will towards a particular racial group, that's like a very intense form of racism. In its derivative form, one is a racist when one either does not care at all or does not care enough or does not care in the right ways about people assigned to a certain racial group. So 
that's a really important part because I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like they're. I think sometimes when I talk with people about racism um, or students about racism, they'll sometimes say that the the first type of um, racist attitude, the the ill will or the hatred, the animosity, that's maybe like waning. It's 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 not as popular anymore, and I think it's really mistaken to think that. But like a lot of us think that that's sort of a dying breed of racism. But notice that Garcia's view allows for this more subtle form where you don't harbor hatred or animosity, but you just have this disregard, this like disinterest, this sort of lack of proper care for a particular racial group because of their race. So we care about a lot of things and we lack care for a lot of other things. And sometimes that's totally fine. Like I don't care about... Um, a lot of you are going to be super disappointed with me. So should I even say this? Yes, I'm going to say it. I do not care about football, in particular American football. I'm a soccer kind of guy. So I have very little concern or interest in that. And in most ordinary circumstances, that's not really a bad thing. Some of you are like, yes, it is. You should care more. Well, I guess I guess that's something we could debate. But I don't think I'm doing anything morally problematic when I display disinterest in American football. Right? Instead, I really care about soccer. So those are like morally neutral, morally benign forms of care and disregard, care and apathy. But sometimes our disregard is morally inappropriate. It's vicious. It's lacking in virtue. <clears throat> so if I don't care properly for animals, if I don't care properly for the environment, or if I don't care properly for my family or something like that, <clears throat> that's a morally problematic form of disregard. There are certain people and things I ought to have a high degree of care for. And Jalea Garcia is telling us that racism is something like this form of low levels of care, this form of disregard for particular racial groups. So he might say something like, if you are white and you have racist attitudes, one way this could work out is that you have uh, you know, a, pretty, a pretty good degree of care for people who look like you, who have your skin color, but you might show very little care for those who don't look like you, who don't share your skin color. And if you lack that degree of care for them, the proper degree of care, because they are a different race, that is racism. Notice that nowhere in that story did I say anything like, you hate them, or you have ill will or animosity towards them. No, you just don't care enough about them because of the color of their skin. And for Garcia, that is also a form of racism. So, he concludes, racism, then, is something that essentially involves not our beliefs and their rationality or irrationality, but our wants, our intentions, our likes and our dislikes, and their distance from the moral virtues. This is a really important point. Some people think that individual racism involves having beliefs um, about a particular racial group, that they're maybe inferior. Um, in fact, Kendi has this view. He's, he says that you can be a racist if you hold um, racist ideology, where a racist ideology is this belief in the inferiority of a particular racial group. And Garcia actually thinks that that's not quite right, that that isn't the right conception of racism. Racism is actually this kind of affective attitude. It's not a cognitive attitude. Cognitive attitudes are things we believe. Affective attitudes are the things we feel. And racism for him is about a type of feeling you have towards a racial group, either on the, on the extreme, hatred and animosity, or on the other end of things, disregard for them.
you just you feel low levels of care, low levels of interest, low levels of compassion, and so on. And that can infect your beliefs, but for him, it starts with this internal affective attitude. Okay, so that's his conception of racism. It is fundamentally about low levels of care. It's race-based disregard. That's like the quick pocket slogan if you ever need to use it on an exam or in conversation. Racism, according to Garcia, is race, uh, race-based disregard or disregard for a racial group because they're part of that racial group or because of the race they are. But he's not a strict agentialist. He thinks that we, we can talk meaningfully, coherently about institutions being racist. We're, we're not misusing the term. So how does he get there? Well, start with this idea. How do actions turn out to be um, racist? This is kind of how it works. He thinks that we need to think about immoral actions more generally. He, said, he has a quote like this. Actions are immoral insofar as they are greedy, arrogant, uncaring, lustful, contemptuous, or otherwise corrupted in their motivational sources. Okay? So an action is immoral when it's corrupted by its motivational sources. And he's going to say that uh, racism does a similar thing. An action is racist when it's corrupted by its motivational source. Is your action motivated by your race-based disregard? And if it is, that action is racist. And you can see how this is going to lead towards his view of systemic racism or structural racism. When policies, practices, ideologies, and certain outcomes um, in society are motivated or explained by the racist attitudes of individuals, then those institutions, policies, laws, and practices are also racist. To see how intuitive this is, just think of an example I gave in class. Um, just imagine that, um, I think I talked about Jared, so imagine that Jared and I are standing at the edge of a cliff, and he's just like so taken back by how wonderful this experience is. He's looking at the sunset. It's He's having a really cool aesthetic experience. And he just throws up his hands and he's like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And in the process, he knocks me off the cliff. Now, suppose someone comes along and says, oh my gosh, like that was a very hateful action. The follow-up question is like, well, why? Like it wasn't motivated by hatred, right? The action had a harmful outcome but the harmful outcome was not enough to make the action hateful. This is very similar to what Garcia thinks about racism. A, an outcome, uh, the outcome of a policy that is harmful to a particular racial group, doesn't, that is not enough to make it racist. You have to ask, why was that policy put in place? Was it the result of animosity, race-based animosity? Was it the result of carelessness for a particular racial group? If so, then yes, we can say that that policy was racist. We can say that the outcome is racist. But if it's not motivated or if it's not explained by the racism of the individuals who put it in place or the society that allows it to be in place, then it's not racism. It's only when Jared has the intention to harm me that the action is uh, a hateful action. Otherwise, it's just unfortunate. Maybe something we should like try to repair. We should make sure that we don't get too excited when we're hanging out at the edge of cliffs. We don't want to push anyone off. But it wouldn't be proper to call it hatred. Likewise, Garcia is going to say it's unfortunate when policy leads to inequitable racial outcomes. But that's not enough to make 
them racist. So this is like really, this is like kind of a departure from a lot of contemporary ways of thinking about racism. Again, going back to Kendi and other activists, a, a sort of popular way of thinking about racism is that um, an institution or a law is racist if it leads to or creates racially unequal outcomes, say out, unequal outcomes in housing and policing and so on. That's enough to make it racist. But Garcia is going to say, no, no, we've got to try to, 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 to really call it racism. For it to properly be referred to as racism, it needs to have been motivated or explained by the racist attitudes of the individuals, their disregard or their animosity. Okay, I think I've covered that enough. Um, so Garcia concludes, at its core, then, racism consists in vicious attitudes towards people based on their assigned race. From there, it extends to corrupt the people individual actions, institutional behavior, and systemic operations it infects. Some, however, seem not to think of racism in this way, as something that, like cruelty or stupidity, can escalate from its primary occurrence in individual people to infect collective thought and decision-making of organizations, and from there to contaminate the behavior of institutions as well. But that's his view. It's, it's got to... The racism of systems has to be connected to the racism of individuals as a conceptual matter. This is super important. So let me wrap this up by just giving you a little bit more terminology. And I might ask you about this on the midterm. So on Garcia's view, institutions and systems can be racist, but in a derivative sense, when racist attitudes lead to racially harmful and disadvantaging policies and practices. So Garcia defends what I'm calling the infection thesis, the infection thesis. It says that systems, institutions, and policies are racist when and only when they are infected by the racism of individuals. In other words, when and only when their existence and persistence is explained by the intentional or unintentional influence of racist attitudes. That's Garcia's view, and um, he thinks that it has a number of virtues. He thinks that it can explain the connection between systemic racism and individual racism. Like, there's, there's a pretty strong connection between the two, and that's a theoretical advantage. What's the connection? Well, systemic racism is the thing that's caused by individual racism. And I just want to make a really important point. Um, this is not, again, this is not a sociological view. This is a conceptual view. So he's not saying, as a matter of, like, sociological fact, individual racism tends to cause institutional racism. He's saying this is a conceptual matter. As far as the definition of racism goes... We, we, the, we cannot say that a system or a policy or an institution is racist unless it's explained by the racism of the individuals who inhabit those institutions who create those policies. So I hope that's pretty clear. And a lot of people also find this attractive because of, you know, this phenomenon of like accidental or un, unintended um, harmful outcomes. Um, sometimes policies go wrong and tend to harm a particular racial group. And maybe this was something that was unforeseen. It was unintended, um, despite our best efforts that happened. And if you think that a policy that causes racial inequality is a racist policy, then you have to say that even these like unintended harmful po uh, policies are, are racist. And some people like think that maybe that's not the right way of using the term. And so Garcia can kind of come along and say, yeah, that's right. It's not because it, it wasn't rooted in the racist disregard of any individual. But if it was, then it was racist. And of course, one thing I tried to argue in class is that whatever view of racism you have, you should think that there are a number of inequalities 
in the United States that are good candidates for being racism on any of these definitions that we covered in class, right? Because there are a variety of inequalities that are super harmful to racial minorities. The black-white wealth gap, um, the black-white differential in homeownership, these are like super harmful um, to African-American communities, create a lot of disadvantage, a lot of inequity. And so if you have Kendi's view, like there you go, there's a form of institutional or systemic racism. But even if you'd reject Kennedy's view and you accept something like Garcia's infection thesis, I think the black-white wealth gap and the homeownership gap and all sorts of gaps that result because of that, educational gaps, gaps in policing and so on, they can be explained by racist attitudes in the policymakers who are responsible for these housing inequities. They can be explained by the racist attitudes of individuals in society who overlooked all of these inequities. People like you and I, if, if you're, um, say, a white person or come from a privileged background, you might, have, you, you might have kind of just like not had a lot of concern for some of these racial inequities. And so you don't petition your political officials and your representatives to do something about this. So those inequities and those inequalities stay in place in part because of disregard for a particular racial group. And Garcia's going to say, yeah, that's, I think he's going to say, or he could say, that makes those inequalities racist. Um, and so we talked about housing inequities in the United States, and I won't go over that history, but please review the Rothstein interview and go ahead and read his book this summer, The Color of Law. The Color of Law, where he talks about how the Federal Housing Administration and the Homeowners Loan Corporation, these are federal institutions, federal agencies, how they basically disenfranchised African Americans for a good portion, probably over around... I don't know, maybe like half of the 20th century, really from the 30s into the 50s. But housing disenfranchisement also was occurring earlier in the 20th century. So there was like a good chunk of the 20th century where the federal government was working to provide good homes and good neighborhoods for white people, but restricting black people from getting in there. And not even restricting um, black people from getting into those neighborhoods it, like themselves right right because like the federal government actually couldn't do that after 1917 the buchanan decision prohibited that but the federal government could withhold subsidies to contractors the federal government could withhold withhold subsidies to banks and realtors and lending organizations unless they put in these racially restrictive deeds into their houses unless they redlined and so on so in all these really pernicious ways the federal government is responsible for a lot of the segregation that we see a lot of the difference in home ownership that we see and as a result the black white wealth gap that we see so all of this history has been um, detailed really well in rothstein's book and look those policies were underwritten i think i think it's very clear underwritten by a type of racial disregard um, they were underwritten perhaps even by racist beliefs and if you buy garcia's view that means that the the policies that resulted and the inequalities that resulted are infected by that racism and they are thereby racist. So that's the idea. I hope it all makes sense. And if you have any questions, let me know. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll see you soon.